so tonight without further ado we're going to start off um, with our lesson so you can open to psalm chapter 51 psalm chapter 51 and um, we're going to be in here for the most of our study tonight psalm chapter 51 but before we get into it um, i'd like to just have a word of prayer and um, ask the lord to guide us as we go into this chapter father we we do thank you lord that we can come before you tonight we thank you that we can have our bible open in front of us and and look forward to hear what you have to say to us lord um it's a privilege to to know you it's a privilege to be known of you and father i ask that you would please come and take over tonight lord speak to each heart who we hears this message, Lord. It's a message that I think we can all benefit from, Lord. And I think it's a message that is of utmost importance. Um, not because of anything I have to say, Lord, but because of your word. And this the truth behind the topic we will be studying tonight. So, Father, I pray, please prepare our hearts. Please guide every word. And, Lord, that it would be, um, that it would bring glory to you, Lord. And uh, we ask this, Lord, not because we deserve it, but purely because of your grace. And we thank you for this privilege in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. So I I trust that those of you who are listening tonight um, truly desire um, to know more of God, to, to um, grow deeper in your walk with him. Um, because I think there are many other things you could do on a Sunday night. Um, and um, But if your walk with the Lord is truly important, I think the time is easily set aside um, to study more of Him, to be renewed in your thoughts, um, to be brought back to Scripture. So I hope that this blesses you, as it certainly challenged and blessed me as I studied um, for this topic and for tonight's lesson. So a few months ago, I was deeply challenged by the topic of repentance. Um, I, I, I feels feels like I, I reached a point in my, in my walk with the Lord where I didn't repent as frequently um, as I used to, um, because I didn't, in my view, didn't commit such great sins anymore. Um, I experienced a lot of victory over sin and um, so many sins that I struggled with. And so I almost felt like repentance was not so necessary, if I could put it like that. Repentance became something reserved for the bad times, like when I committed a quote-unquote big sin, um, then I needed to repent. Um, but my view of repentance was too narrow. And um, I read a quote by, by Martin Luther, who said, it's the first of his 95 theses. He said, all of life is repentance. And I thought of Paul saying, I die daily. And um, I thought to myself, how could these pillars of church history have a greater need or a respect for repentance than I do. 
You see, the thing is, I, I think I missed the point of repentance. On the surface, Paul and Luther's outlook may look a little bleak. Almost like we as Christians don't make any progress and have to restart at the same point each day. Like all of life is repentance. It almost sounds like there's no progress. But I think the exact opposite is true. Biblical repentance forms part of the mechanism by which we grow. Biblical repentance forms part of the mechanism by which we grow. But you may say, if that's the case, then I should purposefully sin more every day so that I can repent more and hence grow more. And like we saw this morning, God forbid, that definitely is not the case. But on that thought, if your mind runs that way to say, I need to purposefully sin today so that I may repent, I want to remind you of something. In 1 John it says, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. So check yourself before you think you had a sinless day, right? Don't think more highly of yourself than you ought to. Also, what's very important is that repentance is not just there for when we commit big sins, but also when we neglect to do certain things or incorrectly prioritize things. So when I, when, I, when I say neglect to do certain things, what I'm referring to is things like evangelizing, praying, help where God wants us to help, make time for people, make time for your wife, for your husband, for your children. You see, we, we often focus on repentance in the light of sins of commission not sins of omission, or not even sins sometimes, just things we should be doing that we're not doing. The other thing is we incorrectly prioritize, like I said. In other words, we say my will or my desires over God's. We focus more on the provision than the provider. We focus more on the fact that we need money, that we need to work, that we want these certain things than the one who gives these good things. So there's a, a misplaced prior, prioritization. Ooh, that was bad. And um, also, we put our functional trust, not our theological trust. We put our functional trust in other things. We, we think of other things. We place other things as more important. And if we don't have that thing, or if we don't pursue or find that thing, then our life seems to fall apart. So functionally, we're trusting in something other than God. And so I think those two things, the neglect to do certain things and incorrectly prioritizing things, definitely are things that um, need repentance about. So you might be familiar with the definition of repentance commonly used as a change of mind. Um, to truly change the way you view something. Now, of course, your heart and mind must change regarding the way you view the sin in your life. But shouldn't they also change in the way they view life and what we pursue in life? Our heart and our mind should not just change towards sin, but what we pursue in life. What's really 
important. You see, the problem is we often make our sinfulness the sole focus of repentance and not the holiness and the will of God. We make our sinfulness the priority and not who God is. Repentance has a lot more to do with who God is and not just who we are. You may think, okay, Garrett, what is, what is your point? What, is the, what's the, what are you trying to get to? Well, if sin is the driving force behind your repentance, you are the focus of repentance. And it quickly becomes a dead religious thing you do. This type of repentance does not lead to growth, but rather despair, lack of joy, as you try to establish your own righteousness, but constantly fail. You see, that is what repentance is if sin is the focus. However, if God, His goodness, His holiness, and grace, and the glorious news of the gospel is the driving force for your repentance. It becomes an act of worship as you meditate on Him and trust Him to reveal your shortcomings daily. This brings about lasting change as He conforms you to the image of His Son. Therefore, let your sin and your inadequacies push you towards the throne. But, Let God's goodness, His holiness, and complete unmerited grace that He gives you bring your heart to repentance when you view yourself in light of who God is. It flips flips repentance on its head. But I think that is the message of repentance in Scripture, and I think that is how we grow. So tonight I want to talk to you about the heart of repentance. The heart of repentance. Of repentance. So you're open in Psalm chapter 51. Psalm chapter 51. And um, this is just after, or this is when David repents about the sin that he committed with Bathsheba. So verse 1 says, Have mercy upon me, O God, according to thy loving kindness, according to the multitude of thy tender mercies, blot out my transgressions, wash me throughly from mine iniquity, and cleanse me. From my sin. For I acknowledge my transgressions, and my sin is ever before me. Against thee only have I sinned, and done this evil in thy sight, that thou mightest be justified when thou speakest, and be clear when thou judgest. So we're going to go through the whole chapter, but I want to pause just here. And before we get into, into the message, let me ask you when was the last time your heart and prayer? sounded like this, where David essentially pleads with God to say, have mercy upon me, but he says, according to thy loving kindness, according to the multitude of thy tender mercies, blot out my transgressions, wash me throughly from my iniquity. And he says, I acknowledge my sin, my transgressions, and my sin is ever before me. Against thee and only thee have I sinned. Verse, verse 5, he says, behold, I was shapen in iniquity, And in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, thou desirest truth in the inward parts, and in the hidden part thou shalt make me to know wisdom. Purge me with this up, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me to hear thy joy and gladness, 
that the bones which thou hast broken may rejoice. Hide thy face from my sins and blot out mine iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from thy presence and take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Restore unto me the joy of my salvation and uphold me with thy free spirit. Then will I teach transgressors thy ways and sinners shall be converted unto thee. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, thou God of my salvation, and my tongue shall sing aloud of thy righteousness. O Lord, open my lips, and my mouth shall show forth thy praise. For thou desirest not sacrifice, else would I give it. Thou delightest not in burnt offerings. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart, O God, thou wilt not despise. Now my question is, when last did your heart sound like that in prayer? You see, your heart can only sound like this if you are not only repenting away from sin, but repenting towards God. Your heart does not sound like this if you are concerned about the sin you've done. Your heart sounds like this if you are concerned about the one against who you have sinned. And so that is why I think repentance is very accurately defined by Paul when he said in Acts chapter 26, verse 20, it says, But showed first unto them in Damascus and at Jerusalem throughout all the coast of Judea and then to the Gentiles. This is what he says, that they should repent and turn to God and do works meet for repentance. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 9, we read, For they themselves, speaking about the Thessalonians, show of us what manner of entering in we had unto you, and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. Do you see how it is a turn to God and away from idols? It's not just away from my sin. It's not just a focus on the sin that I've done, but it's a turning to the one against who I have committed. That's in. A.W. Tozer said the following, Repentance isn't only sorrow from past sins. It's also a determination to now do the will of God as he revealed it to us. You see, it's not only a turning away from past sins, but a turning or a determination to now do the will of God. There is two sides to repentance and I think we often focus only on the one side of this coin. So before I over introduce this topic um, let's get into the message and um, luckily the message is only slightly longer than um, the introduction. So point number one now this morning you may have noticed that Pastor Mike's points all alliterated he had a bunch of C's. Mine have also a nice pattern in that they don't at all start with the same letter once. So it's <laughs> it's not so easy to, to remember. But the first point I want to make when it comes to a heart of repentance, a heart of repentance knows the character of God. A heart of repentance knows the character of God. You'll see in verse 1 it says, Have mercy upon me, O God, according to thy loving kindness 
and it says have mercy, right? So it knows that God is merciful. It knows that God has loving kindness towards us. Have a look in verse 4. It says, against thee and thee only have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight, that thou mightest be justified when thou speakest and be clear when thou judgest. You see, David knew that God is just when he judges. God is merciful. God is loving kind. God is just. Have a look at verse 11. It says, cast me not away from thy presence and take not thy Holy Spirit from me. He knows he has the Spirit of God so that he can have fellowship with God. So he knows that God's character is one of a de- one who desires fellowship. Have a look at verse 16 and 17. It says, For thou desirest not sacrifice, else would I give it. Thou delightest not in burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. O God, thou wilt not despise. God's character is to forgive. He has a desire to forgive and to reconcile and to show mercy. Do you see how David focuses on who God is? He sees the character of God while he's in his state of repentance. Because if you don't know who you are repenting to, right, it will either lead you to a shallow and heartless act, or it will lead you to an overly critical um, judgmental um, judgment of yourself. Because if your view of God is too low, your repentance and you don't see his holiness when you repent. But if your view of God is one who's a Pharaoh, it will lead you to, to despair. It will be overly, you will be overly critical of yourself because all you see is judgment and no grace. So you need to know who you are repenting to. Either of these, whether you're, you see God too low a light or in too much of a Pharaoh-like light, either of these will bring about will not bring about change, um, the change God desires to bring about in your life through repentance. Either of those won't bring that that, um, work of God um, to fruition in your life. Because repentance is supposed to be an act of worship. Because you're seeing God for who He is and what He has done for you through Christ. And that makes worship possible. So the next time you approach the throne... To spend some time dwelling or spend some time dwelling on the character of God first. This will bring about a natural, heartfelt repentance. Because you see God in his light. And that light will show you where you fall short. The second thing I want to point out about the heart of repentance. The first thing is it knows the character of God. The second thing about a heart of repentance is it has an accurate upward focus an accurate upward focus in verse 1 we see that before david jumps into his sin he says have mercy upon me o god according to thy loving kindness according to the multitude of thy tender mercies he realizes and sorry in verse 4 as well it says um, against thee And only thee have I sinned. He knows that his sin is primarily against God. The other thing, when I say an upward focus, is that 
he says, wash me throughly from my iniquity, verse 2, and cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. So the one, the one aspect of an upward focus is noticing or realizing that your sin is primarily against God. The second thing that is an upward focus is knowing that you or being more concerned about your fellowship with God. That your sin divides, um, brings division between you and God. So he's not concerned so much about the people, the immediate people who he's affected by his sin. He's firstly focused on, I've sinned against God. And secondly, this is going to destroy my fellowship with God. He has an accurate upward focus. His concern was with God, not himself. He did not want to lose fellowship. He sorrowed because he had offended God, the only one, um, the one who has been so good to him and showed so much mercy and grace to him. I want you to open to 2 Corinthians, keep your place, but open to 2 Corinthians chapter 7. We're going to see something there about godly sorrow and um, what that means to have a, a, a right focus in your repentance. But let me ask you this. When we read through Psalm 51, how many times does David mention the people against whom he sinned? Does he mention Bathsheba? Does he mention Uriah? Does he mention the families? Does he mention the nation of Israel? He doesn't. How many times does he ask God to hide his sin so that man does not think less of him? He doesn't mention that. It's because he didn't. Is it, well, the question is, is it because he didn't care about those people? No. But his primary focus and the origin of repentance is God. That's where he starts. He doesn't start with those people outside who he affected because he knows his sin is primarily against God. This is godly sorrow and repentance. We'll see now in 2 Corinthians, Paul has been having some tough discussions, some hard talks with the congregation about sin among them. Um, it hasn't been easy for Paul, but he hoped that it would bring about godly repentance. And um, we'll see that in now in 2 Corinthians chapter 7 and verse 9. 2 Corinthians chapter 7 verse 9. It says, Now I rejoice. Not that ye were made sorry, but that ye sorrowed to repentance. For ye were made sorry after a godly manner, that ye might receive um, damage by us in nothing. For godly sorrow worketh repentance unto salvation, not to be repented of. But the sorrow of the world worketh death. For behold, this selfsame thing, that ye sorrowed after a godly sort, what carefulness it wrought in you, yea, what clearing of yourselves, yea, what indignation, yea, what fear, yea, what vehement desire, yea, what zeal, yea, what revenge. In all things you have approved yourselves to be clear in this matter. Do you see how godly sorrow led to something? It led to a repentance, but a godly type of repentance. It is after a godly manner. It was in line with the will of God. Um, this godly sorrow 
poor contrast with a worldly sorrow. Worldly sorrow is evoked not because we have transgressed a glorious and holy God, but simply because we got caught. That is worldly sorrow. Worldly sorrow is essentially self-pity for having been exposed and having lost stature, favor, or respect in the eyes of men. Godly sorrow, on the other hand, occurs when we consider that the sin in question has dishonored God. It has an upward focus. The focus is the sin I did is against God. It dishonored God. God is holy and I am not. It has an upward focus. We must also be aware of one of the biggest hindrances to obtaining a broken heart. It is our neglect of the relational aspect of sinning. We often forget about the relational aspect of sinning. And that's what David was primarily concerned with, was that his sin was against God and that his sin is going to result in a break of fellowship. You see, when I say the relational aspect of sinning, by this I mean that we can view sin as a failure of performance rather than a failure of intimacy. A failure of performance rather than a failure of intimacy. The only grief we experience is disappointment in our inability to do what's right. And not that we have despised the living God. Do you see how, how it's, a, it's a narrow line. But you're falling to this side of focusing more on the sin. Focusing more on the effect that sin has on my my view in society, the, the shame of that sin, and not on God, who we've despised in doing that sin. So the next time you repent, which shouldn't be long from now, um, check your focus. What are you most concerned about? Is the effect the sin, or the effect the sin will have on your social standing, or your relationship with the holy and righteous God. Which one are you more concerned about? Change your focus. Pray for godly sorrow. Repentance that leads to life, joy, and peace. So, that takes us to our third point. First point, when you, a heart of repentance, has a correct view of the character of God. Secondly, a heart of repentance has an accurate upward focus. Thirdly, a heart of repentance is sincere. A heart of repentance is sincere. Have a look back in Psalm 51. Psalm 51 and verse 6. It says, Behold, thou desirest truth in the inward parts, and in the hidden part um, thou shalt make me to know wisdom. He's talking about the inside, not about the superficial, right? It's talking about the inside, the inner parts. Have a look at verse 16 and 17. For thou desirest not sacrifice, sacrifice an external thing, else would I give it. Thou delightest not in burnt offering, a superficial, an external thing. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken contrite heart, O God, thou wilt not despise. A true heart of repentance is sincere. You know, you may be familiar that David was called a man after God's own heart. 
The question is, why was he called that? In, in Acts chapter 13, excuse me, Acts chapter 13 and verse 22, that's where it's quoted that David is a man after God's own heart. Is it because David is sinless? Certainly not. We're reading about his sin. It was because in that same verse, Acts 13 verse 22, it says, David, which shall fulfill all my will. David, who shall fulfill all my will. How is it possible for God to say this if David committed such a, such a great sin? How can God say David will fulfill all my will if we're talking about David's great sin? You see, God is not looking for sinless perfection from us in this life. That is not what God is looking for. He's looking for a heart that is concerned with doing God's will. He's looking for a heart who's concerned with doing God's will. A broken and a contrite heart. That is what God is looking for. That is why in the introduction I mentioned the will of God. I mentioned the will of God in light of repentance. Because living outside the will of God is something to be repented of. It's what David did. It, and that is what made David a man after God's own heart. David was primarily concerned with God's will. And so when his sin pushed him outside of God's will, he repented of that. He did not want to be outside of God's will. Jesus used similar parables to make the same point. You can open to Luke, Luke chapter 7. Keep your place in Psalm 51. In Luke chapter 7, we read about the house of Simon. Um, Jesus came to have a meal there. And while he was there, a woman of ill repute came to him and started washing his feet. Um, and um, we're going to read the story in um, Luke chapter 7 and verse 14. Jesus answers Simon after he saw what Simon thought in his heart towards this woman and Jesus entertaining this woman. So in Luke chapter 7 verse 40 it says, And Jesus answering said unto Simon, Simon, uh, unto him, Simon, I have somewhat to say unto thee. And he saith, Master, say on. There was a certain creditor which had two debtors. The one owed five hundred pence and the other fifty. And when they had nothing to pay, he frankly forgave them both. Tell me, therefore, which of them will love him most? And Simon said, I suppose that he whom he forgave most, and he said unto him, Thou hast rightly judged. Have a look at verse um, 47. Wherefore I say unto thee, Her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But to whom little is forgiven, the same loveth little. And he saith unto her, Thy sins are forgiven. You see, the one who sees his need for forgiveness more, loves more. It is not about the number or the magnitude of sins committed, but rather the heart towards that sin. You see, Simon most likely had far fewer or less serious, call it, if that if you want, sins than this woman. And... Um, but God, or Christ, was more concerned about the heart towards that sin and not the sin itself. A sincere heart. Have a look at Luke chapter 18, 
very familiar piece, Luke chapter 18, the Pharisee and the publican who went up to the temple to pray. Have a look at Luke chapter 18, verse 10. It says, two men went up into the temple to pray, the one a Pharisee, the other a publican. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank thee that I am not as other men are, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this publican. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I possess. And the publican standing afar off would not lift up so much as his eyes to heaven, but smote upon his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Verse 14, I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone that exalteth himself shall be abased, and he that humbleth himself shall be exalted. Once again, who was forgiven? The one with the least sin? Certainly not. But the one who repented and didn't trust his self-righteousness, but God's righteousness. So the next time you repent, remember sinlessness is not what God is expecting, but a sincere and a broken heart who knows God is gracious and ready to forgive. He will not despise, as it says in Psalm 51, he will not despise that heart, a broken and a contrite heart. So you need to know the character of God. You need to have an upright or an upward accurate focus. And thirdly, you need to be sincere in your repentance. Now the last point. A heart of repentance bears fruit and it brings about change. You can turn back to Psalm 51. It bears fruit and it brings about change. As I said in the beginning of the message in the introduction, biblical repentance forms part of the mechanism by which we grow. Biblical repentance forms part of the mechanism by which we grow. Now have a look in Psalm 51 verse 10. It says, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from thy presence, and take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation, and uphold me with thy free spirit. Then will I teach transgressors thy ways, and sinners shall be converted unto thee. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, thou God of my salvation, and my tongue shall sing aloud of thy righteousness. O Lord, open my lips, and my mouth shall show forth thy praise. The first fruit, or the first change that we see is a, a realization of the forgiveness of sins. So true repentance brings forth that forgiveness, that freeing from sin. We see that in verse 10. It says, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. That right spirit is, is the same way of saying a steadfast spirit. It's a steadiness in your walk, a forgiveness, a knowledge that you are accepted in Christ. It's not based on your works. And so that's the type of mindset that starts developing in someone who experiences and practices biblical repentance. The next fruit or the next thing that we see is in verse 11 to 12. 
And we see here the restoration of one's joy and experiential communion with God, that fellowship with God, the restoration of that joy and that fellowship with God. Verse 11, it says, cast me not away from thy presence and take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation and uphold me with thy free spirit. So that's another fruit, another outflow from biblical repentance. And then the last thing we also see is action. We heard about that this morning, how profession should lead to faith. Grapes and figs, profession should lead to um, practice. Sorry, I think I said something else. Profession and practice. So this should lead um, to action. True repentance should lead to action. And we see that in verse um, 13 to 15. It says, Then will I teach transgressors thy ways, and sinners shall be converted to thee. It says, Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, thy God of my salvation, and my tongue shall sing aloud of thy righteousness. Verse 15, O Lord, open my lips, and my mouth shall show forth thy praise. Do you see how this repentance, this freeing of your sin, this seeing God for who he is and his grace that gets poured out on you results in you reaching out to the lost in a testimony that is filled with God's goodness, a heart of thankfulness, a heart of joy. And um, when we were reading 2 Corinthians chapter 7, after Paul spoke about this godly sorrow that worked repentance in them, um, he said that you repented after a godly sort. Um, in verse 11, he said that this self-same thing that you sorrowed after a godly sort, what carefulness, notice the fruit, what carefulness it wrought in you. Yea, what clearing of yourselves. Yea, what indignation. Yea, what fear. Yea, what vehement desire. What zeal and what revenge. In all things, you have approved yourself to be clear in this matter. So you see there's, there's, a, there's a natural um, fruit bearing. There's a natural change that happens when someone is in line with biblical repentance. You see, repentance that does not lead to action or change is actually just self-deception. It's not repentance. It's self-deception. It's, it's a soothing of your conscience. In James chapter 1, verse 22, we read the following. It says, But be ye doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. You see, if you're not a doer of what you know is true, you are deceiving yourself. In verse 26 of James chapter 1, it says, If any man among you seem to be religious, and bridleth not his tongue, but deceiveth his own heart, this man's religion is vain. You see, if it doesn't lead to you bridling your tongue, you're deceiving your own heart. So, if... True repentance does not lead to change. It's self-deception. True repentance must lead to change. And that is, when I say true repentance, like we've talked about now, it's not just viewing your sin, not at all. Actually, it's more viewing who God is. It's focusing on who God is, His character, and yourself in light of that. In 1 John 1 verse 8, it says, If we say we have no sin, we deceive 
ourselves and the truth is not in us. You see, we are self-deceivers. If we think when we kneel to pray, sit down to pray, we close our eyes, we confess some sins, we, and it's the same sins, we're, we're not having victory over sin, and all we do is we focus on our sins, we are deceiving ourselves, we are not seeing God, His victory, His grace, and what He has done for us, what He's accomplished for us, and how we are accepted in Christ Jesus, not based on our works. We're deceiving ourselves if we do not let God change us through biblical repentance, by dwelling on His character, by having an upward focus, by being sincere, heartfelt sorrow over what we've done. And if we have that, fruit and change will occur in our lives. If it is true that repentance leads to these changes that we spoke of, we spoke of how forgiveness of sin and steadfastness we spoke of the restoration of one's joy and experiential communion with God and how it leads to action and you witnessing and your testimony and of God's goodness and thankfulness and joy. If that is what true repentance leads to, the opposite of false repentance, or as we saw in 2 Corinthians 7, um, worldly sorrow, then leads to the opposite, a lack of joy, a lack of nearness to God. Grieving of the Holy Spirit, oppression, a downcastness, no desire to share the gospel. Now the question we must ask ourselves is, how much of this fruit of unrepentance do we see in our lives? Perhaps it's time for you to stop hiding your sin or your lack of desire for God's will in your life and confess it. Repent from your self-righteous pursuits, your high estimation of yourself and repent towards God, His love and His grace for you. Then you may start bearing the fruit that is meat for repentance, the fruit that is befitted, that suits repentance. Because that repentance is of a godly sort. So my question to you tonight is, when last did your heart sound like David's? When last did you get up from prayer feeling renewed and closer to God? Joyful. Perhaps it's time for you to still your heart before God and see Him for who He is. Just being in His holy presence will point out the faults in your life and in your character. And when God points out these faults in your life, don't be cast down. But know that He offers grace and He is ready to forgive and He will not despise a broken and a contrite heart. So see repentance in its true form as restorative and constructive because God only chastises those whom he loves so see it as a, a restoration see it as a construction in your life don't let it lead to despair because this should fill any Christian's heart with a sense of thankfulness as God's unmerited grace is poured out 
on our souls. So brother, sister, make time for true and dedicated time for, of repentance. It is of the most precious times when God, in his loving kindness, takes time to help you grow. See it in that light, not as punishment. Focus on God, his character, not only on your sin. This will bring sincerity to your repentance. And godly or sincere sorrow will work the change that is required in you. And that will conform you to the image of his son. I hope this message was a blessing to you. Um, studying it, seeing the truth of this message um, applied in, in so many aspects in my life has truly renewed my walk with God. And I'm, I'm so thankful for the boldness with which we can appro approach the throne of grace, um, that God's mercies are new every morning. May our lives be like Martin Luther said, all of life is repentance. But don't see that as a bleak, sad thing. See that as an occasion in which you can see God for who he is and his grace that somehow he loved me and saved me, even though he is so great and holy and I am so far from it. And every day God is willing and ready to forgive and to help us become more like Jesus Christ. What a privilege. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much. For this message. Oh God. It's it's a truth that transforms. It's, it's a truth that just changes the way we view you. The way we view our sin. And God may we apply biblical godly repentance in our lives every day Lord. May we not think of ourselves more highly than we ought to Lord. But may we every day. Um. Bring ourselves before you, that you with your marvelous light can show us the dark spots in our life. Lord, that not only sin of commission, but the things we don't do and how we put other things. We create idols in our lives that we put before you. Lord, come show those things to us. Come take those things away. Remove those idols from our hearts that we would repent towards you and be filled with that that joy of our salvation that overflowing knowledge of your mercy your loving kindness your grace towards us so unmerited lord that when i think about it, it it fills my heart with complete joy and thankfulness that we can be partakers of such a great great savior and message oh lord may that knowledge push us to share it with others. Lord, how can it not? If you've done such great things for us, how can we not share that message with those you give us to share it with? Lord, peace be with us now in this evening. Help each of us to, to make time to repent after a godly sort. Lord, help us not to neglect this wonderful aspect of worship that you have given us lord we thank you so much for all you do for us lord thank you for a church that we can be involved in and lord we ask that you bless us 
and um, be with us in the rest of this evening. We pray this in Jesus' holy name. Amen.